If your question is honest, I'll answer it. If it's not honest, I'm not going to answer it. And you know, one of the things we learn from this when you're sharing your faith, when you're sharing your faith, people like to skewer Christian beliefs. They like to shred them. But you ever try and actually push back on someone else's beliefs? <gasps> you are so judgmental. I'm like, oh, so yours is the only privileged belief that's not allowed to be questioned. Mine's allowed to be skewered, but yours is not okay. For those people who have said no to Jesus, the time is now to come to Him. But there are many who have said yes with enthusiasm, carrying around big Bibles, but who have missed the heart of Jesus. Today, Pastor Daniel's message addresses this issue. When we hear how the religious leaders of Jerusalem, with all of the trappings of faith, totally miss the mark when it comes to truth. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verse 18, with his continuing study entitled, The King Throws Down. Jesus I remember um, Christopher Hitchens wrote a book, New York Times bestseller, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. Or Richard Dawkins New York Times bestseller, The God Delusion. And pretty much what they're saying is that the world would be better if there was no such thing as God or Jesus. It's ironic, though, if you look at the greatest atrocities of the 20th century, they're all perpetrated by atheists. But it's really the church's fault. I mean, let's just be honest. You guys, you've ruined the world. Give yourself a golf clap. Go ahead. You ruined everything. You ruined the world. If you were not here and I was not here, we had no Bibles, the world would be a better place. There's a group of people who would say that. They'd just assume put us in concentration camps, get rid of us all. Right? We're, we're just a hassle. Why? Because they don't believe. They don't believe. Now, there's others of us who have that childlike faith. You just believe Jesus is king. He's the king. I just do whatever he says. And you have that simplicity of faith. And that's a good thing. But you know what? There's also, I realize there's another group of us, probably the majority of us. We know that Jesus is king, but he's still a troublemaker, isn't he? That's who Jesus is in my life. I know he's the Lord, but Jesus is a troublemaker. He is always upsetting my personal apple cart. He's always like, oh, oh yeah, okay, oh, yeah, yeah. Let's, see, let's see how this works. But you know, you know why Jesus, we can still believe in him, but he's still a troublemaker because we don't really trust him. And we're all learning. I, I always love that phrase in the gospel when the guy came and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's me. I read that, I'm like, that's my verse. I don't know how many times I'm like, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I know you're God. I know you're the Lord. I know you're the king and you're upsetting everything in my life right now, God. Because God is teaching me how to believe and not doubt. And listen, if you're here today, if you're here today and Jesus is a troublemaker in your life, I believe God wants you to learn how to trust him. And the reason he loves you enough to be a troublemaker in your life is because God has a more glorious plan for your life than you could ever dream. And the only way, if we are not willing to walk that path, we have to be 
coaxed down that path, so to speak. And Jesus challenges us and upsets the apple cart. So notice this. And, and this, where this is placed in the gospel is by chance. It's not by chance. We just looked at a temple that was barren and now we've come to a fig tree that was barren. Don't miss that. There's a barren temple and now there's a fruitless tree. It's interesting, and for those of you who like Bible stuff, the first Adam, he went to the fig tree for leaves to cover his shame. Jesus, the second Adam, came to the fig tree looking for fruit. It's not, that's powerful, isn't it? Think about that later. The first and the second Adam, one came looking for leaves to cover the shame. Jesus, the second Adam, came looking for fruit. But what's going on here? Jesus is leaving Jerusalem He's staying in Bethany. In the morning, he's hungry. Why? Because Jesus is like all guys. He's hungry in the morning, you know? Okay, maybe not. I'm hungry all the time, so God help us, you know? But he's hungry, right? And he notices that there's a fig tree, and it's got leaves. Now, one of the other gospels tell us that it wasn't the season for figs, which is a fascinating thing. But And I, I've never grown fig trees. I've eaten a lot of... Uh, figs and fig newtons really I really like my fig newtons but they say that when fig on a fig tree the leaves come and then the fruit comes right after it so Jesus is going to the fig tree because he's hungry he's looking for fruit and he finds nothing and he curses the tree and it withers away now I know some of you are going to say I can't believe Jesus would wither the fig tree that is not ecologically friendly but listen, he just overturned tables in his own house. So Jesus is off the rails right now, okay? So it's like, like what he did in the temple is way worse. And it doesn't say that the thing's not going to grow back. It may grow back more fruitful. It could be just pruning. I don't know. But I, I know there's someone who's like, I can't believe in, how could I believe in a God who would curse a fig tree? That poor tree. If, listen, if that's you, I was like, God bless you. I don't know what to say. I, I don't have an apologetic for it. But Jesus is throwing down. He's throwing down here. See, what's Jesus' issue with the fig tree? The fig tree has the advertisement of fruit, but there's no fruit on there. Oh, someone like that. It has all the advertisements of fruitfulness, but when you go and get fruit, there's nothing there. And so Jesus cursed, just like the temple. The temple had all the advertisements. This is a spiritual place, and it was totally barren. And what's interesting is the disciples look at this and they say, how did the fig tree wither away? It's like, what happened? And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what I have done to the fig tree, but also you will say to this mountain, be removed into the sea, and it will be done for whatever things you ask in prayer believing, these you will receive. See, God is not impressed with our advertisements of us being spiritual. God's looking for fruit. And it is real easy to have the advertisement of spirituality, isn't it? You can be in church long enough, you get a big old Bible, say enough proper praise the Lord's, and people think you got it going. But God doesn't want an advertisement. God wants fruitfulness. It reminds us of John chapter 15, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. By this my Father's glorified that you bear much fruit 
And so you will be my disciples. See, God is looking for fruitfulness. Success in God's kingdom is being fruitful. Now, again, I almost term this be a fruitcake. <laughs> and I was trying to stay away from it, but it's like, it's true. Be a fruitcake for God's glory. Be fruitful. And I know fruitcake has all sorts of bad connotations and stuff. And, you know, fruitcakes are fun for Christmas. Don't get me wrong. But God wants us to be fruitful. And I always say about fruitfulness, when was the last time you saw an apple tree eating an apple saying, mm, this is a great apple? A fruit tree never partakes of its own fruit. Everybody else does. And God wants his people to be fruitful so that we may be salt and light and nourish the world. And that's why, brothers and sisters, take those invite cards and invite people. Because God wants to use you. God wants the way he's working in your life to bless people. You can go and say, listen, I want to invite you to church. Look, I'm not perfect. You know that. But God loves me and I'm still working on it. When you go and you invite someone, they see that God is working in your life and in your family. Not that you're perfect. No one's perfect except for Jesus. But when you are fruitful, that is the greatest advertisement for the work of God's kingdom. When you and I are growing and bearing fruit. Now, I'm here to tell you this. Don't miss the fact that fruitfulness is absolutely tied to faith. Because you know what he says? He's like, look, if you believe and don't doubt, not only will you do what I do to this tree, but you can say to this mountain, the Mount of Olives, be removed into the sea, speaking of the Mediterranean or the Dead Sea, and it will go. Because whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, these you will receive. Now, listen. Jesus said it. None of us believe it. Can we be honest about that? See, when Jesus says something like that, it's easy to be like, yeah, I know it. I've memorized it. But do we really live with the reality of the God where all things are possible? When was the last time you're on Mount Hood and you say, put me right next to Kauai, please? That's what the verse says. That's what the verse says. See, we need to live our lives in light of the God who makes all things possible. Sure, it, with man, it's impossible. But we're not talking about human reality. We are talking about the reality of the true and living God. And it says that with men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And we need to live in the reality that we love and are redeemed and serve the God of the all things are possible. So brother, sister, what are you fearful in? What are you worried about? What do you think it's never going to happen? You need to include but God into that reality and take a step of faith. Because for too many of us, we just chart it all out. It doesn't work and we never take the step of faith. And if we had that, we never would have learned about a man named Gideon who God sent out to war with 300 people. We never would have learned about a guy named Moses who stuttered, talking about my generation. And God used him to write the first five books of your Bible practically. Yeah, that was a who, the who reference. That's right, it is. Every single person in the Bible believed in the God of the possible, even though they didn't believe. They believed, helped my unbelief. They stepped out and God did something crazy. 
But too many of us, given our good old-fashioned upbringing with enlightenment thinking where everything has to line up, we don't take steps of faith with the Lord because I can't walk on water. You're right, you can't. Nobody can. Until God gives you some water skis. And that's what God does by faith. You step on out and all of a sudden you're like, oh! Can you imagine Peter when he stepped out of the, out of the boat and he didn't sink? He must have been like, You wonder if he did a moonwalk before he noticed that he was like, you know, he started looking at the wind and the waves. We joke, but we need to live in light of the God of the possible. What's your fear? What's your hope? What do you think it's impossible? I guarantee you that with the God of the possible, it's all possible. We just need to believe. And when Jesus, when we trust Jesus and we let him be king of our lives, he'll include us in all sorts of things. In all sorts of things. But we need to believe. We need to say, okay, Lord, I believe what you say. I believe it. Now, look at what happens. In verse 23, now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? Was it from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. See, now you see the king in confrontation. The king's in confrontation now. He's back in the temple. It's the next day. The chief priests and the scribes, he's teaching in the temple. And they come up and they say, who gives you the right to say these things? It's a question of power. It's a question of authority. Who do you think you are, they say? By what authority do you do these things? And Jesus, (laughs) pretty awesome. Jesus says, well, how about this? You got a question for me? You got questions? I got questions for you. This is proof that Jesus was from New Jersey. (laughs) It wasn't like Jesus like, well, I'm the son of God and I am perfect. So to answer your question, I have the authority from the Father. Because the Father and I are one. And he doesn't do that. He says, oh, you got questions. So I got a question. The baptism of John, who's it from? Is it a God thing or is it a man thing? See, Jesus pushes back. Why? Because their question isn't honest. They really don't care. All they care about is their position. All they want is for Jesus to stop being a troublemaker. We're the chief priests. We're the scribes. Give us a break, Jesus. So Jesus says, okay, you got questions? I got questions. John's baptism, was it from God or men? And they notice they go away and they start reasoning. They say, if we say it's from God, we're caught because Jesus said, hey, why didn't you believe him? If we say from men, all the people will be mad at us because they all believe John was the prophet. And they come to Jesus and they say, we don't know. And Jesus says, well, guess what? No soup for you. That's what he says. He says, you got questions? Yeah, you're not answering mine, I'm not going to answer yours. You know what I like about this with Jesus? Jesus is not a pushover. 
Jesus is saying, oh, if your question is honest, I'll answer it. If it's not honest, I'm not going to answer it. And you know, one of the things we learn from this when you're sharing your faith, when you're sharing your faith, people like to skewer Christian beliefs. They like to shred them. But you ever try and actually push back on someone else's beliefs? Oh, you are so judgmental. I'm like, oh, so yours is the only privileged beliefs that's not allowed to be questioned. Mine's allowed to be skewered, but yours is not okay. You know, because sometimes people aren't asking honest questions. And you know, when someone's not playing nice, then you can still love them, but you can still push them back on the heels. Be like, look, is that really an honest question? No, well, then I'm not going to waste my time. When was the last time you witnessed that way? That's Jersey style witnessing for you. Is, we learned it from Jesus though. You know what I mean? Jesus was still, per, this is still, this is a redeemable part of my New Jersey character is that Jesus did it. He just said, look, your question ain't honest. Why am I going to waste my time? He's in confront. He's literally in confrontation with the religious leaders. But you know, it's funny. Jesus actually does ultimately answer their question because look at what it says in verse 28. But listen, Jesus answers this question. He is absolutely positively picking a fight now. I'm just going to say, like he's answering their question, but he's zinging them at the exact same time. Look at what he says. But what do you think? A man of two sons. And he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? Verse 31, these, they said to him, the first. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but that tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. <laughs> Do you realize how inflammatory Jesus is being right now? Like he's straight, he's off the rails here. It's like if, if the triumphal entry was Jesus' inauguration day between what he's done in the temple and now what he's done now, he's burning the flag on the inauguration day. That would be the equivalent. He's going at them. It's, it's a full assault of the religious leaders of the day. That's literally what, and this is why Jesus ends up dying by the end of the week. Because he is literally completely inflammatory. He's like, look, okay, I got a, I got a story for you. There's a guy who's got two sons. He's got a vineyard. He tells his one son, he's like, go and work in my vineyard. And the son says, all right, I'll go. And he never shows up. Excited, but no follow through. Then there's another son. He says, go work in my vineyard. He says, no. But he feels bad about it. And he comes later. Right? Which one did the will of my father? Which one honored his dad? He said, the one who said no originally, but came later. Right? <laughs> and then Jesus applies it crazy. Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Boom. That's Jesus being like, like he's throwing down the gauntlet. He's got like Thor's hammer. It's just nuts what he's doing. It's nuts. He's saying, listen, he's saying the problem is, is that my kingdom is upside down. This is what this teaches us. It's the upside down kingdom right here. The king's upside down kingdom is right here. He's saying, look, you guys are like the son who said, yes, I'll go, but actually never followed. You were excited about it. You actually never followed through. And these tax collectors who were hated, why? Because they made money. 
on the Roman occupation of the Jewish people. Now, it's funny. People don't like tax collectors today. How many of you guys are enjoying doing taxes? Yeah, that's right. If you're here and you're a tax collector, we work with the IRS, we love you. We're praying for you. <laughs> it's true. Everyone loves doing taxes. That's right. The tax collectors were hated. And then the harlots, I mean, these were prostitutes. He's saying, he, Jesus is looking at the religious leaders and saying, guess what? The prostitutes are getting in before you. Hookers to the front of the line. <laughs> That's what he's saying. You know why? Because although the tax collectors and the harlots and the people on the outside, although they said no initially, they are going. He's saying John came in the way of righteousness and you didn't follow him. And when you realize he came in the way of righteousness, you still didn't follow him. But the tax collectors and the harlots, they loved his message. And they followed him. Even though you are the learned and the wise, you are fools. And the people who are on the margins of society, they got the gospel. See, now here's the thing. Because I'm going to apply this to us. For some of you, God has called you. You said no. But God's calling you back and you're about ready to run into the field with him. If you said no, but God's drawn you, you need to come. And you need to do it today. You need to come to Jesus Yes, you said no. You've been living no. It's time to say yes. And God's drawing you. And you need to come. And for some of us, we said yes. We have all the trappings of Jesus in Christianity. We carry around big Bibles, just like the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders. We got it all dialed in, but we really have said no. We were all enthusiastic, but we missed the heart of God. We've never gone. If that's you, guess what? You need to come too. See, the only thing that God cares about is that people come. That's it. So no matter if you said yes up front and you didn't follow through, or if you said no up front, and now it's time for you to change directions, all of us need to come to Jesus. Because you know what? If you come to him, you will be no means cast out. If you come, he says, I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you. So just come and come today. This whole kingdom is upside down. Now, I'm going to close here, verses 33 to 46. Notice what it says. Hear another parable. Jesus like, I got another story for you. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. He leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. And when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one and stoned another. Again, then he sent other servants more than the first and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these or those vine dressers. And they said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruit of their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? Jesus is 
Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. Thank you so much for tuning in to Jesus is Real Radio. I realize that each one of us is in process. We're on a journey. And for some of you right now, you've been listening to the radio program, but you have things in your life that dishonor God and you know it. Maybe you're going to go home and you're going to do drugs. Maybe you're going to go home and you're going to get drunk. Maybe you're sexually immoral. Whatever it is, listen. That maybe has been who you have been, but it does not need to be who you are going forward. The Bible calls this repentance. It's when we turn from going our own way and we turn to God. And there are some of you listening right now, you believe in Jesus, but you need to turn back to God because what you are doing is sinful and wrong. And I'm here to encourage you. I'm a brother on the journey saying, listen, stop doing what you're doing and turn to the Lord. Maybe you need to go talk to a pastor or get in touch with us through JesusIsRealRadio.com. We would love to walk with you to see your life be a living testimony of the finished work of Jesus. Now, for others of you, you've never said yes to Jesus before, and maybe you have those same struggles, but you have never said, I believe in Jesus. He is my Lord and Savior. You need to say yes to Jesus right now. This moment, you do not want to let it pass. So in the quiet places of your own heart, God loves you and he wants to forgive you of your sin. God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. God created you for so much more than what you're experiencing right now. And God wants to share his abundant and eternal life with you. So just simply say yes to Jesus right where you are right now. God hears you and loves you and we're excited for you. God bless you.